Welcome to the Azure Podcast, a weekly podcast to keep you up to date on what's new on our cloud platform, Microsoft Azure. Your hosts, Cynthia Crane, Evan Basilic, Suji DeMello, Kenno Roden, Kel Teeter, and Russell Young discuss a different service or solution on each show with subject matter experts to explain how to get started, how different services work, and how to make decisions in tricky scenarios. You can find out more about our podcast at azpodcast.com or follow us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Azure Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, or one of your hosts, uh, Evan Baslick. I'm joined today by um, my fellow host, Kale, um, and then we've got our special guest, Ryan Borstelman, um, is going to talk about how automation makes his life easier. This is sort of our one of our in the real world um, sessions. Um, we're recording. This is episode number 453, uh, and we are recording this on February 2nd um, of 2023. Um, so before we get to Ryan, let's uh, like normal, let's get into the news. Kale, looks like you got some stuff out here. What do you want to talk about? Yeah, I got a few things. I hope this automation discussion isn't about how chat GPT just takes over everything. So <laughs> looking forward to some other details. <laughs> there. But uh, just joking. Um, yeah, there's a lot of hate. We're going to so, turn the podcast into a chat GPT thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I got three things here today. The first one is, um, and most of these are about uh, GA type things, uh, kind of more announcement stuff, um, stuff that's been there in pre-release and is now graduating to, to GA. The first is uh, Azure load testing. Uh, something super important um, when you're building applications, especially uh, that need to scale uh, and have you know capacity demands and things like that. Uh, Azure Load Testing is a fully managed uh, load testing service for those who don't know. Um, super cool, lots of features, uh, lots of walkthroughs to help you create your load tests. And um, the service has been out there for a while, and now it's basically uh, going up into uh, GA. Uh, this is also one of those services where, you know, if you had to do this yourself, I, I've done this in the past, you know, years back, uh, where we had to build our own load testing rigs. Uh, that can be quite time consuming as well as, you know, costly. Um, so this allows you to only pay for what you need. So basically, you can scale up and basically create uh, whatever levels of uh, load that you need on your system without having to have tons of compute sitting there uh, idle when you're not using it, right? So. This is actually a really great use case for, for cloud where we, we have these kind of spiky yeah. kind of loads. Yeah. Uh, the second one is something that's uh, pretty popular uh, for reverse proxy standpoint and things like that on the Internet when you're running. Again, high scale websites typically is uh, Nginx. Um, I didn't even know this was available uh, in preview, so I must have missed this. I one, didn't either. I missed that, too. Yeah, it's pretty cool. So th- when I first saw the word, I was like, what is that? But it's Nginx as a service. Um which, uh, as I mentioned, it's it's a typical reverse proxy or uh, kind of a front end, if you will, where uh, your traffic is going to come into uh, initially uh, and be routed typically based on rules and things like that. And uh, this is really cool because we have this available in the marketplace, uh, allows people to basically spin these up without a lot of nonsense, right? Um, this Nginx is open source, right? You could configure it in all kinds of different platforms, containers or native and all this kind of stuff. But again, this just lowers the bar to, hey, how can I get that thing stood up as fast as possible to allow me to start routing stuff and, and pay for only what I need? And the last one is um, a little bit about our uh, green energy stuff. And it's tip- it's around our high-performance computing 
Uh, High-performance computing entails quite a bit of things like GPUs and uh, other types of, you know, scaling things for like really high high performance, you know, big workload, AI, those type of workload type stuff. And um, basically, uh, this article is pretty good that uh, one of our leads has put up here talking about like Microsoft's commitment with HPC, uh, specifically around AI and how we've kind of built things in the cloud to help, you know, from an energy standpoint, because these workloads can chew up lots of power. Um, And so the investments that we've made there to basically make that easier for customers to go spin that up, but also be as green as possible on like energy consumption. Super cool. So I won't get into the details here, but there's a, a, a demo and stuff up there and as well as a lot of information about that. So, yeah, no, I, I was thinking about this the other day because I, I used to run a server here at home and, you know, ages ago and, you know, I mean, it costs money. Um, and I certainly wasn't invested in like making sure that was running the most efficient possible it just sort of shows up in the electric bill and now i run that workload in the cloud and and you know obviously i work for microsoft but also like I, I do like the idea that we're investing in you know sort of making stuff greener under the covers and i get the benefit you know as a as a person while living and walking around the world right just like i, I still have this need for it and but as microsoft invests in the green stuff i like i get the benefit it's it's that centralization is neat right from that sense because no one person's going to invest in it but when the industry does, like, because Google invests in this as well, Amazon does as well, right? It's just good for everybody. Um, I mean, even the blockchain stuff, Kale, that, that you spent a lot of time with, right? Y'all have invested a bunch in the last few years at figuring out how do you reduce the energy consumption of, of the blockchain, right? Um, you know, because it, it's, you're one of those compute intensive workloads, right? At the yeah, end of the day. yeah, for sure. So, um, great. Yeah, no, those are good news. Um, a couple of things I want to call out real quick. Um, so, one, uh, AKS, this has actually been around for a while, but AKS, is changing their um, pricing tier model. Um, they used to have this, you could purchase this SLA version of it. So the control plane had an SLA. They sort of have refactored that as a free and a standard tier, just so that it's a little bit more clear to people what they're getting, because we were still finding people weren't adopting the SLA tier for critical workloads. Um, and then the other one is Chaos Studios released, you know, some VNet injection capabilities, some dynamic targeting for shutdowns. Uh, so you can test across zones. Um, and they've got some key vault capabilities in terms of uh, sort of making certificates not available temporarily. Again, just letting you inject more failures. And then the third thing I want to call out, and this um, this just got extended, and so this is why this sort of made the news um, from my perspective. But I still think it's something you know I don't think enough people are thinking about. So classic VMs, the original Azure VM control plane model, um, they've been on the deprecation path for quite a while. Um, it was. Ex- I think it was supposed to hit in April of this year or March of this year. Yeah, we were we were gonna, you know, you couldn't turn them on anymore after March um, for lots of good reasons. That got extended to September. But if you're running these classic VMs, the clock is ticking. You should be planning on moving it. We've invested a ton in making it easier to move for sure. I remember when you know those migrations failed like you know 80% of the time. Um, you know, so we invested a lot in making that much, much easier to move, you know, with minimal da- minimal or no town time, depending on exactly what you have deployed. But if you're not, if you don't have this on your roadmap, you need to, because in September, these things will not turn back on. Um, and so, that so is Evan, not a day. Yeah. So Evan, how do customers know? I mean, I'm sure we're probably sending emails, but sometimes those emails get lost if they went to like yeah. a different admin yeah. or something. Yeah. So how do they know? Like, is there something like would hit them in the face if they went into their Azure? Yeah. So it'll show up as a classic yeah. VM. It actually is tagged as classic. 
Okay. Um, you know, so you can see it when you look in the portal. Um, I know if you look at the documentation, I'm pretty sure we we have some scripts and some other queries you can run to see what's running in your environment. That's classic VM. So cool. yeah, I, you know, that there's a, we'll we'll provide a link to the sort of the content, and if you drill into the content, it'll list it. But yeah, go do it. Go do a survey of your of your estate. Hey, make sure it's not because you do not want to wake up September 1st um, and find out that some of your workloads are no longer running um, anymore. Because I think, uh, Ryan, because I see you nodding a little bit, so you probably got some context on this. I think not only do we prevent new ones from getting turned on on the 1st or existing ones that are turned off, turned back on, but I think we actually shut down anything that's running on I September believe, 1st as well. Yeah, I believe all new, no new deployments after March 31st, and then all existing deployments are are done um <laughs> barring, barring some edge uh some edge extended contract stuff classic microsoft yeah. uh, deprecation stuff but um but yeah i think uh, and we also make it really hard to actually create a class yeah. VM. Yeah. you got to go well out of your way to do it and and throughout yeah, you're that not going to do this by accident anymore yeah and throughout point, that yeah. process you you get you get alerted a couple times like fyi just be sure you know what you're doing sort of thing so yeah. Yeah. So we'll include the link. And again, you know, again, check check your estate. You don't want to find this out the hard way. Um, so so with that introduction, um, let, let's transition this over to to Ryan. I've known Ryan for about 10, 15 years now, something like that. Um, mm -hmm. Plus or minus, um, you know, was one of the early, early uh, leads in the Azure networking space uh, with me. And, you know, I got to talk. We were working on something the other day and um, he mentioned, you know, using a bunch of automation to make his life easier. So using Azure while he's supporting Azure. Um, and so I thought it would be a good um, thing to get him on to talk about that. So Ryan, you know, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us what you do for for Microsoft, and then tell us how Azure is actually not just stressing you out, which it does <laughs> in your day job, but also making your life easier. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm I'm uh, I'm employed for a reason, right? So I, I work in uh, our support org under Azure Networking, and I started at Microsoft in 2015. Actually, coming up on three years in. Like two weeks from now, I think. So, um, or eight years, excuse me, in, in two weeks. And so, uh, I joined Microsoft as a app development sales type role. Um, I have no, ironically, I have a I have a journalism background, which makes me great for podcasts, I suppose. Um, <laughs> so it's not going to take this long. I don't know if I should be offended or what, but um, but yeah. So so I have a I have a communications background. So I joined in kind of a salesy role. Got very technical very quickly. Um, ended up pushing over towards our premier field engineering roles, which I think now are called cloud uh, CSA or something. We've renamed CSA, that. CSA um, engineering, yeah. I think. Cloud yeah, Social Architect Engineering, yeah. And um, really enjoyed that. Traveling's tough. Uh, everybody who's ever been a premier field engineer knows that that uh, is about an 85% travel job. Um, I was in the Azure space at that point. Uh, we actually started the PFE role, me and three other people. Um, and is now grown into this massive organization. So it's kind of cool to see that thing take off and grow. And, and the one thing I always said when I was a PFE sitting in the office next to a bunch of CSS people, uh, some a bunch of exchange support at escalation engineers was, man, I'm never going to join CSS. Your job sounds terrible. <laughs> Customers are only calling you because they're mad. You're, you're, something's always broken. And, and here I am seven years after that. <laughs> about three months later, I was in CSS, ironically. Uh, and seven years later, I, I absolutely love it. It's um, it's a it's a there's there's no shortage of problems to solve in the support world. And, and the problem that we solve are, are you know, that we, we joke about how, you know, support is a grind. But the problems that we're solving in 2023 are nothing like the problems. Yeah, we solved in 2015. absolutely. Right? Absolutely. When, when we started this this org and this team, 
you know, we had some very fundamental problems. Very young cloud, you know, uh, a lot of customers just moving into the cloud for the very first time and and getting their feet wet and making some simple. Uh, they had young, they had VMs. I don't, we didn't even have VNets at that time. at the time I think we were cloud service. I think I joined yeah. right yeah. after ARM was like a, a barely a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we we have a lot, you know, we had a lot of customers making some very very uh, young cloud adoption mistakes, and 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 we always we thought that it was the hardest thing in the world. And now when we look back, I think we have some uh, rose colored glasses or or whatever the term is, where it's like you look back and you're like, man, the things that we're doing today in the cloud yeah. and, and troubleshooting some of these customer uh, you know environments that are that are absolutely massive and so complex and so many different moving pieces. Um, on top of just the scale of Azure itself, so my team also supports Azure networking as a fundamental, right? Uh, the physical networking side of the data center stuff. Um, you know, it's it's an absolute never-ending uh, stream of, of fun, right? And so yeah. uh, I've actually come to really like it. I think it takes a certain mindset. Um, so my role on the team, so I started as a support engineer, just taking cases, talking to customers, and and grinding things out, and then um, moved into a, a technical advisor role. So um, some companies call this like a tech lead or whatever, where you're helping others instead of helping customers directly, right? So if if Evan has a problem, or Evan, you were probably a TA when I joined, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, probably. Or, yeah. Just, or maybe just recently. Uh, if I didn't know the answer to a question, uh, I would go to Evan, right, as, at the time. And now, um, you know, that's that's where your your the breadth of your impact changes from individual customers to many engineers with many customers, right? Um, once. Uh, a couple of years ago, Azure Infrastructure in support changed their model to kind of separate customer support TAs with business support TAs, which business support meaning supporting Azure CSS as a business, right? And so one of the, the complaints that we always had as TAs was like, look, yeah, you, you know, management's telling us that we got to go help all these customers. That's obviously the number one goal of a TA, but, you know, I got to go talk to product group teams and I got to go develop training and I got to go do all these other things to help the team. Uh, there was there was a split at the time where we actually said, you know what, we're going to take a small percentage of you and we're going to put you over in this bucket over here. And that's all you're going to focus on is the extra stuff. You don't have to worry about cases. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Um, and that's where I landed. Um, I basically, and that's how the automation stuff all kicked in. Um, and so, so the the ironic part is I'm still in cases every day. I'm still helping. <laughs> that's what we were we were on one together the other day. That's, how, that's yep. when this this topic came up. Yeah. I can't get away from it. Uh, I don't want to get away from it to a yeah, certain extent. Agreed. Well, you know, I don't want to become a a non technical person. That's that's why I love this job and I love all the things that we get to do. And um, so I kind of dabble in both. And thankfully, um, I'll give a lot of credit to my management. They give me a lot of freedom and flexibility as long as uh, you know, as long as I'm helping the team, right? And so. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that, uh, you know, that we started talking about was all of the automation stuff that's happening right now. And, and I think this is an industry-wide thing. It's a global thing. This isn't a Microsoft or CSS-specific thing. It's it's with the way that the world is right now, we are all trying to do more with less, right? Um, you know, we're, we're pushing to try to maximize the efficiency of all of our engineers, um, of all of ourselves, because that's, you know, in the grand scheme of things, that's why we're all here. We're, we're here as a company to make money effectively, right? And, and so part of that is how can we help our customers most effectively, which we found extensively that customers appreciate efficiency. They don't want to sit and grind out a support case with Microsoft. That's kind of the old school view of how support at Microsoft works was, oh, I'm going to create this case and it's going to be weeks before I get anything figured out. Nowadays, it's like with the way the cloud's going, it's quick, it's fast, it's, it's, um, 
We have targets for like finishing cases in a day, things like that. So all of what we do in CSS is all around efficiency and doing more with less. And so I started getting into the uh, the automation stuff maybe six months, a year ago, where we started saying, you know what, this process, this tool, this whatever it is, is really hampering our ability to be efficient. Um, how can yeah. We, yeah, how can we hammer out some of these gotchas or some of these kinks and some of these uh, weird process things? Microsoft is a huge, gigantic corporation. We do suffer from gigantic corporation problems such as tooling and, and process things. And my role is now morphed into effectively, how can I use technology primarily, some of its process stuff, but a lot of it is technology to solve some of these problems. I mean, and so it, functionally, I mean, functionally, it sounds like, Ryan, what you're describing, you're doing exactly what our customers are doing. This is what was interesting when we were talking last week. Like, you're doing exactly what our customers are doing. The only difference is you're doing it here inside Microsoft. Yeah. I'm but it's the, same, it's the same thing every other customer out there is doing. Yes, that's exactly right. I think, and there's a huge, and like I said, this is a huge focus, I think, across the world and across industries, and it's it's not specific to any one group. I think everyone out there is trying to do more with less and trying to leverage technology to to do more right and 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 so i sort of break it down into kind of three pieces right number one is business process automation right? we've got a lot of business processes everyone does every company does that are just kind of mundane and they take a lot of clicks and they take a lot of time or they take a lot of human beings to go do um, and how can we leverage some of our tooling and some of our our products to actually accelerate that and make that more efficient the second one is i, I call it um I call it pseudo app dev. Uh, I'm not an app. I developer. saw your code. You wrote code. I saw. I saw, I saw C sharp code. It, but I wrote it. Was that C sharp? Was that my PowerShell stuff? PowerShell is my favorite coding language that isn't a coding language. Um, <laughs> and so I, I, you know what? I, I respect the heck out of all the devs in the world because I just hate it. I'll, I'll run Power. I'll do PowerShell all day long. But man, the second I start doing C sharp, maybe a little bit of Python, it's all out the window. But um, so. I call it pseudo app dev because we've got a lot of uh, products and features that allow you to do things without writing code. You know, we talk or about minimal code, power, maybe or minimal code, the power yeah. apps platform and things like that. Um, I leverage those things heavily as somebody who doesn't like to do coding or front end UI work. Uh, power apps becomes my best friend all of a sudden, uh, which it wasn't up until just a few weeks ago. But so that's the second one. So that's that's like I need to make a tool that'll do something. Right. Um, and it has to have a UI around it. it has to be user friendly and all that other good stuff. And then the back end stuff can be whatever. The the last part uh, is really specific to us, but I don't think it's specific to us in certain ways where we have all of our knowledge sharing within CSS within an Azure DevOps uh, Git repository that's front ended by a code wiki. Um, and so that uses Markdown on the back end. It allows us to do like, it's just like our GitHub documentation allows users to submit pull requests to make updates. And it's very community driven. And I think we hit like 20,000 unique users a month. So it's not even like for our team, it's for kind of Microsoft mm -hmm. whole. Um, and it's all internal information and it helps us solve cases and it helps share knowledge throughout the team. Well, we have a lot, and it's like 1200 pages of Markdown code. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, we have a lot of automation pieces that maintain that and do a lot of things for us as far as scanning for compliance and making large scale changes without having to actually hit control F in, in notepad and, and all sorts of other things. And so that's my, my third bucket is we use a lot of Azure pipelines within ADO, aka GitHub Actions and GitHub um, to automate a lot of that stuff because it's so tightly integrated there that 
all of the permissions, the compliance, the auth tokens, it's all magically handled for you uh, in, a, in a compliant, secure way. And, and it makes it life so much easier than actually writing the code to go do it. You can do all of these things by writing mm-hmm. code, um, but maintaining applications is an absolute nightmare from a security and compliance standpoint to make sure that you're doing everything right, you're doing it compliant, you're making sure that you're storing things properly. Nobody wants to be that person who leaks information, you know, which happens across the industry all the time. And, and so we are able to basically leverage these already existing tools that are that are provided to our customers to be successful, to be successful ourselves. And I think that's a super cool idea that, you know, I don't know that a lot of companies can really do like we can, because we have such that that broad portfolio of different tools and different products that allow us to do all these crazy different things. Um, it's it's a very unique situation that I think we've we've taken great advantage of, and, and it's been a lot of fun. And um, you know, we've got a lot of things. I got a, a, a to do list that is unbelievably long. <laughs> what what's let's talk about specific because um, yeah. and this is sort of relevant to the technology because um, and I I think this I can't remember if I looked at this code after we talked or or that's what sparked the conversation, but. You've got some code where you go and analyze our, um, tra- I think it's our traffic manager performance database, yep. and you took this, um, you know, sort of very set manual set of steps that people had to go do, and you turned it into this. You've got a function app, and yeah. and you look like you're deploying it via a pipeline. So talk about sort of what yeah. you what you built there and why. So uh, some background um, because this is not necessarily internal information, but it's not probably terribly wide, widely known, but uh, Azure Traffic Manager, uh, it's a DNS-based load balancer. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I try to get to contoso.trafficmanager.net and Traffic Manager as a service is effectively a DNS server. And it decides which IP to return to you or CNAME to return to you based on a set of criteria. Customers can say, I want to be closest physically, or I want all the people in one country to go one place and all the people to go another country another. There's a bunch of different routing policies that you can set. Well, one of the support case buckets that we get are like, hey, my IP address appears to be misrouted. So I'm going uh, the wrong place, basically. Wrong place. Yeah. And, and so anybody who's ever dealt with large scale IP geolocation knows that it's almost impossible to get right 100% of the time, or even most of the time sometimes. Uh, MaxMind has, uh, is, is kind of the biggest name of the game outside of Microsoft uh, or for, for general purpose use. And, and they have, there's a there's a story out there that um, they set, if they didn't know where something was, but they knew it was in the U.S., they set it to the geographical center of the U.S. That was where the pin would drop on the map. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that pin was some farmhouse in the middle of like Kansas, I think. <laughs> and because so many people use these for so many different things, this this there's a New York Times long article about it a couple of years ago I read. They got so many visitors to their house of people who are like, I saw your IP address on my, you know, spouse's, you know, email. Oh, that's funny. They had the FBI showing up because they're like, well, this is where it said it was, you know, and so (laughs) so it's not easy to do. So that's that's the backstory there. So what we do is we we get this case and it says, hey, you know, I've got this IP address. I own it. It's misrouted. It's it's going here. It needs to go here instead. And one of the tasks that our engineers have to do is go find in this database in the back end where this IP lives. And the database is like 25 million lines long and, and very hard to parse and very hard to search. And uh, written for computers at the end of the you'll day. Crash, right? Not humans. Yeah, you'll, yeah. you'll crash your desktop computer trying to open the thing. And it's just it's just a mess. But the processing that happens on the back end for them to deploy it 
works great. Um, and so we needed to figure out a way that we can make this a lot easier and a lot less clunky so that we can knock these cases off. They're very easy cases. It's just a matter of it's time consuming to actually grind out the, the data analysis part. And so what we did, um, I took the database, I have it stored in an Azure encrypted storage account. Um, and what I do is when I upload to the storage account, a function app kicks off using a blob trigger. So function apps are the, are, are serverless uh, functions, uh, you know, basically like, how do you describe a function app? I mean, it's, it's basically, like, it's, it's a script, it's an automated script that runs on command. It just runs yeah. in and a container many, in the cloud. There's many yeah. different ways you can do it yeah. and you can run it in a million different ways. But I wrote this one that triggers on a blob upload. So the second I upload a new database, when a new one's released, it's about monthly or so, I'll upload it. And then the, the trigger kicks off and says, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going to chunk all these things out into individual, I think I have it in slash 16s or even slash 12s. So I, I take like the first two octets of the IP address and I chunk those so that when I actually have to go process it, I can process a much smaller set of IPs. Because one of the problems is trying to load 25 million records into RAM using any uh, coding language, let alone my beloved PowerShell, uh, is pretty much impossible, right? It's, it, it takes forever. And so I chunk it out. And then what I do is um, I wrote a second function app that uses a web trigger that will actually do the lookup for you. So if I go to my URL and I you know, say my IP address is 1.2.3.4, it will actually go find the correct chunk and then process that chunk for you. And what ends up happening is instead of it taking couple hours to grind through the database and figure out what you're looking at, it spits out in about three seconds or four seconds or so. And so you're basically able to take, again, a simple problem, very simple, not a not a complex issue, but a time consuming one and, and condense it down into just a few seconds. And our engineers don't have to don't have to grind anything. They just get to just drop it in and, and, and go. And, and then they are they now are armed with all of the information that they need about this IP address and its database backend stuff to go to our engineering team and say, okay, we have, we need to move this IP here uh, and, and you sh and here's all the information that you need and, and helps our engineering teams be efficient as well because now they have all the information that they would otherwise have to look up on their own uh, to do to do this work. And so um, again, I can't stress enough, uh, We uh, uh, Microsoft Flow has uh, their tagline, uh, it's now Power Automate. They, their tagline is automate the easy things and then you can focus on the hard stuff. And that's exactly what all of this revolves around is we've got easy problems, but they're, man, they're time consuming. And and trying to just hammer those things out and get and get solutions to those so our engineers can be quicker, so that our customers can be helped more quickly. Um, at the end of the day, that's that's the name of the game right now. And and it's it's been a fun learning experience. Like that. <laughs> yeah, Ryan, like as you were talking through this, like uh, you talked a lot about like these are internal and probably some of this data is even internal, right? That can't be shared, but I would imagine some of this stuff is like APIs, right, even, and which could even be public APIs in Azure and stuff like that. So I was wondering how much of this gets out to like, you know, you could share directly with companies and say like, hey, you know, you can do this, uh, like, like look yeah. at these certain things in the future, because maybe it takes some hours to go figure out like what, what's the whole stream of APIs I got to call to do this thing. And maybe even you have a function app to do it. Are you sharing any of that through like blogs or like directly or any of that like open source type thing? We aren't at the moment. Um, the, the thing that we've noticed so far as part of our process automation stuff, especially shareable things, is that it's a very unique problem to Microsoft. Um, very few companies have to parse 
you know, millions and millions and millions of IP addresses um, to, to get the specific information about it. Um, I think I think some of some of the back end stuff and some of the deeper things that have to do with the actual product engineering side of it. What we do instead, and one of the big things we push for, and actually I'm talking with traffic manager PMs about this now. Uh, I should probably reach back out to that person actually. Um, is um, making these things public, right? So I got reached out. I got touched uh, base last week with one of the one of the dev leads uh, for traffic manager. He's like, hey, I found this. You know, I noticed CSS is using this cool thing. He's a relatively new PM, and he's like, I want to. I want to make this into a, a a more official internal app so that it's not being maintained by some random support engineer or support contact. And B, the next step being let's make it available to customers, right? That's that's kind of the end goal, right? How long it takes to make that happen and, and how that works out is a whole other story. But the but the gist is it's like we have this process, we built this tool, we built this thing, and we're benefiting greatly from it. But how can we expand that benefit? outside of our little scope of work. And that's that's the other side of my role right now is I'm part of the Azure networking team here in, in Microsoft. However, the things that I'm building and the things that I'm doing and some of the other things that we'll probably touch on here a little bit expand well beyond Azure networking and across support and even beyond. And so that that's the next step in all of these projects is, okay, you built this cool thing. That's wonderful. That's cool. That's impact. We like that. It helps the company. But what's but what about what's next, right? How how can you expand that and take that even a step further to help either other teams within Microsoft or publicly making these tools available and things like that? And and some of the things that that we have as far as um, you know code things, a lot of it's obviously proprietary internal stuff. But at the same time, when it's an option, we we like to be able to push things to our Azure GitHub, you know, the public Azure GitHub as as examples or as code snippets. We've got, a, I mean, there's like 2,500 repositories in the Azure GitHub, I think, many of which are are obviously like tools like Azure CLI and the docs and all the other stuff. But but there's a huge amount of repos out there that are really cool things that people build and they just bring them out and they, they want to share it with the world. And so we always we always have that in the back of our mind for things that, that are publicly shareable. But, um, but yeah, so a lot of the stuff that we've been doing recently is very specific product engineering things, which will eventually make it to the public, but not via, you know, here's a view into the back end sort of thing just yet, just due to some of the, some of the data compliance. But I think you hit on, but you hit on something that, that I think is really key. And, and this is why I, I thought, you know, you know, sort of your story was, was really cool is traditionally go back 10 years, right? This problem, this, but this, this behavior would be flipped where you would have this idea, you'd hack something together with some code or, or you'd go, I can't write code. So I'll, I'll write a spec. You got to go convince somebody somewhere in, in an engineering team, a component team to invest in it. You got to get, you know, make it compliant. And then, you know, and then, and then we ship it and customers may or may not use it. And then we get feedback on it from customers. What, what, what you're able to do is sort of flip this on its head and say, I got this idea. I can build something that is, you know, maybe it doesn't scale. Maybe it's got some, you know, it, it, it isn't ready for sort of customer facing, but it works. You can demonstrate the business value. And now when you go try and justify and say, hey, we think we should put this in front of customers, you, you have a much more solid story. So, so the, you know, the Power Automate and the Azure Functions have allowed, like, think about what it took to put a web server out there, you know, 10 years ago and make sure it what didn't have, you know, everything open to the world. Right, like so, so it really allows you to go do things faster at the end and get things out to your customers faster well, as well. And not only, and not only that, it allows you to think about how long it took to put a web server together, even just from a proof of concept standpoint. Yep. Or a, can yep. we justify this as a as a business need? 
I'm able to spin things up in in hours that would have otherwise taken months, right? Yeah. And, and not to mention, boy, oh boy, if I didn't know whatever language I needed to know for that code, I was out of luck, right? And, and you had to go find somebody who did. And so for, you know, one of the other examples, the great example that I'm working on right now is we have a, a pretty uh, antiquated uh, out of office alerting system where, where we say, hey, team, I'm going to be out of office. And it's just email. It's just you just email your team. But there's a bunch of stuff that has to happen on the back end so that we make sure that you're pulled out of you know, your your support queues and that you're not going to get assigned customer cases and that Microsoft HR knows that you're off and all these other all these other things have to happen in the back end. Right. And so one of the things that came up um, in recent months is like, hey, we should fix that process. And this week I finally kicked I finally kicked that off. We started working on it um, and I was able to spin up using Power Apps a a actual full blown UI, multi-page UI where it, it provides all the information to the user that they need. And then when they hit submit, obviously then it go, goes and kicks off a bunch of backend stuff. In like a matter of like eight hours, I had this thing built and I knew nothing in Power Apps before this week. I was all cool. I love Power Apps. Automate and logic apps were my go-to's with the side of function apps. But this was like brand new to me. And I was able to learn in hours what probably would have taken me months years ago. Right. And so and so I think that's another huge aspect where, where companies can take their ideas, this random idea from this random engineer, and with almost no background on whatever it is they're trying to do or, or whatever platform they're trying to build it on, build it and, and build a proof of concept. I, you know, I didn't have to go find a Power Apps engineer or a UI engineer to go learn CSS and HTML and Bootstrap and all these other things. No, I could just do it. I know none of those things at, at all. Um, and so, and, but I'm able to put this thing together and say, okay, management, leadership, here's, here's this thing I built as a proof of concept. Here's the existing process. Here's the theoretical new process. Yeah, sure. It's not fully baked yet. Um, you know, I've got to put the back end together and do all that stuff. But the gist is, here is what the end user experience would be and how much easier it is. Not only how much easier it is for the end users, but how much easier it's going to be for us on the back end. Right now, we spend a lot of time dealing with out-of-office requests and, and the amount of manual labor that has to go into making sure all the checkboxes get checked from a from a corporate standpoint, right? The boring corporate stuff of like, yeah, HR needs to know you took a sick day or whatever it is, right? That stuff is all mundane. It's easy. Again, going back to our easy but time-consuming discussion. And, and this allowed me to basically say, okay, we can solve that. And here's how we can solve it. And I can show you a proof of concept within a couple of days at most. Um, I think I started on Tuesday and, and just this morning I, I wrapped it up and I'm presenting it to leadership later today or tomorrow. I mean, it's it's unbelievably quick how or it's great how quickly you can iterate um, in this day and age versus where you were years ago where I had to build code. I got to build and do debugging and I had I had Visual Studio heavy on my computer and it was just it was a nightmare. Right. And And that amount of work just the tools that we provide and that we create for our customers, leveraging those things internally to say, hey, you know, I can just spin this thing up real quick and show you what it's going to be like. And then and then we can get feedback and then we can iterate on that feedback very yeah. quickly. Um, and then again, because all of these low code and no code tools are already compliant, by definition, they are already, we, we know they're compliant. You can't write your own code to make them not compliant even. Um, I don't have to worry about whether data is being handled in proper ways because that's already been handled for me, right? Because mm -hmm. so, so not mm -hmm. that we're dealing with customer data, but we're dealing with employee data to a certain extent, right? Names and emails and phone numbers and things like that. 
that's a that's there's a certain level of privacy and compliance that goes along with that. And one of the big things that I don't have to worry about as an engineer is making sure that that is being handled in a proper way because the tool has already been developed in a way that is confirmed and accepted by Microsoft security and all those people to say, yes, you can use this to handle X, Y, and Z data. Maybe not A, B, and C, because maybe you know there's some highly confidential information that we don't want in there. But for my purposes, this is great because now I don't have to worry about making sure I go talk to the privacy team to make sure that I'm fully compliant. And then they want to come in and they want to look at your code. And then they're going to probably tear it apart because you're not, I'm not a good code guy. And then now I have to go spend a whole bunch of time fixing it in a way that makes it compliant. All of that's out the window now. All I have to do at this point is say, here's what I want to build. Here are the tools that I'm able to build it with that are already 100% compliant. Donuts. And, and, and not only that, but you don't even have to know how to write the code. Underneath the hood, they, it's all handled for you. And and um, and it's just, like I said, the the speed at which we can iterate and, and advance in this company right now is like nothing I've seen. And I mean, I've been here for, uh, you know, I've been in the industry for a little over 10 years. And it's like 10 years ago, man. None of this stuff would have been even remotely. Yeah, it was possible. hard. It was yeah. it was it was really hard. Yeah, no, I mean, I think those those are great stories. Of, I mean, you're yes, this you know, you and I know each other through Azure networking, but none of this has anything to do with networking. I mean, it it happens to be that your you know one of your technical solutions uses networking data, but you know, but the the business process automation just happens yeah. to be that business that you're in. Um, so so this is great, Ryan. I appreciate you coming and telling us. Any any last thoughts, you know, or, uh, or guidance you want to leave our audience with? Yeah, one of the things that you just you just touched on that I think is really important is that it doesn't take an engineer to do any of these things, um, especially with some of the power automate. This you know the simplicity of all the no code mm-hmm. stuff means that if if you're a and I see this all the time even internally here is like I'm an accountant and I need to do X Y and Z with this data, I can just spin that up as an accountant. I don't I don't even need to know anything about the technology that's under the hood and make it happen. And so so to empower everyone to be able to use these tools where in the past, you know, yeah, Visual Studio is wonderful. Love it to death. But if you don't know anything about coding and you open up Visual Studio, <laughs> it's a nightmare, right? It, and, and so you're able to basically abstract the deep technical aspects of what you're doing from the user, which means that anyone could do this. And, and so I want to stress that as, as, you, as you look at these technologies and these products in Azure and you're a company that maybe is in Azure, but you're not a technical person um, or you're in a different org and you feel like, oh, no, that's that's not for me, check it out. I mean, some of the things that you do on a daily basis can be handled by a lot of these business process, process automation tools, especially when we look at like Power Automate, for example, um, and they require absolutely no technical depth and no technical knowledge, um, and, and and it's so easy to use. So so that's my big thing is, is, is bringing other people into the fold. Uh, because there is a huge opportunity across an infinite number of technologies and companies and industries to improve that efficiency using some of these tools. And it doesn't require a computer science degree to make it happen. <laughs> says the says the journalism major, not that we have yeah, any journalism I majors, but I like that's about as far as you can get, right, from, a, from computer a, science, right? Yeah, I took a Java class in, in college and I was like, you know what? This ain't for me. <laughs> and here I am. Uh, a technical that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, no, great. Ryan, thank you very much for coming on. Um, you know, we'll look forward. Maybe at some point we'll have you back on, you know, and you can tell us, you know, in six months or 12 months, what other cool things you've been able to build, right? You know, at that point. So great. Kale, any last thoughts? No, this is great. Thanks, Ryan, for all this. I'm sure our listeners will will love this. Uh, 
I, I love the aspect of the data handling too. I think yeah. that's super important because Absolutely. in the past it was always like dump it to Excel and then we'll take a look at it. And then the Excel spreadsheets are all over the place. And next thing you know, you got data leakage. So it's like, exactly. that's a super important part. So love you hitting on that. Yeah. Big focus right now in, in, across the industry is, is customer data handling and privacy, right? And Microsoft is, is unbelievably focused on that right now. And so to be able to not have to worry about it and say, you know what, I, I know that this is good and secure and handling properly takes a huge weight off of my shoulders as, as a, the person who's building the tool. And so cannot stress that piece enough as well. It's a really good call out. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Well, everybody, thanks again. Thanks, Ryan. Appreciate you coming thanks on. For me. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the show. If you have any thoughts, questions, or just want to connect, find us on Twitter at Azure Podcast. Background music has been taken from ccmixer.org under the Creative Commons license. We hope you'll tune in again soon to keep learning with us.